Welcome to the show, Jimmy. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's been a long time going. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it too. Well, thank you for coming on. I know it's been a little hectic. Um, I think, actually, I want to start the beginning, beginning. You have been like a music guitar icon in Connecticut for quite a while. Like, I've been playing a long time. (laughs) Did you you used to rent a room down at the Zini Brothers, down at the band rooms? That's when I first heard your name. And I heard, you got to see this guy. You got to see this guy. I mean, that was the place to go back then, anyhow. It was. was club. There. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Who, who were you playing with then? I can't. Um, well, um, it depends what year you went there. Um, the, bo- uh, both joined forces, both versions of it, um, had rehearsed there. Yeah. The, the original lineup that got started back in like uh, uh, 1981, we, we had, uh, it was a bunch of friends that all came from other bands. One of them was mm-hmm. Cry, and I was, I was away actually uh, f- uh, on, in a road band from, uh, for quite a while, like after, um, say from like uh, 1920, something like that. Uh, I was living on, on a road uh, playing um, the whole New England circuit with a band called The Shoppers. I literally played every single night all over, you know, all over the, you know, that, that area. Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, Maine, you know, that whole circuit. And, um, and then I, I, I joined. Remember that at all. What's that? I don't remember that band. No, no. I know, they, joined, I know joined forces. I, know, I remember that band. Yeah. Well, well, the, no, well, first off the shoppers was uh, based out of New Hampshire. Okay. And I, I ended up hooking up with this band from, uh, uh, that had gotten a big guy working with a big production guy out of Montreal, Canada. So I was actually living in Montreal um, and uh, recording there and everything, Uh, you know, and after that was, you know, uh, on hold for a while, I came back to Connecticut and these guys that were in crier said, Hey, we're going to start this band. It's going to call join. Uh, are you there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. sorry. I can, no, and, I did. I can add that. Okay. Um, yeah, so these guys said they were going to um, start a band, Joint Forces, and uh, they they didn't care if the band even lasted a year. Let's just get together and have fun. It was a cover yeah. band. So we, uh, we got together, and the band lasted exactly one year. We went and played, and we were a hit. I mean, a real big hit. Um, then the singer... Mark Diamond had left to go to California to try to do something. And we replaced him with a singer that I worked with in that band teaser from uh, Montreal. Okay. Um, and that, that's when Bell Attack was formed. We formed the band. Bell Attack. Yeah, we, um, I had built up sort of a, um, a reputation pretty quick yeah. once coming back from, you know, playing around. So that one year, um a lot of people came out and saw me you know playing because i was playing uh, you know back then i was playing some stuff that other people weren't playing you know i was really into the the whole shredding thing back then before all these shred guitar players i was no i actually i actually remember that i mean i can verify that was the thing that was one of the things about your playing that you know you gotta see this guy for those, those reasons alone 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was something that I worked on. You know, uh, I wanted to play like that. Uh, we can talk about my influences after on how I yeah. did that. Uh, yeah, so that's what, uh, you know, Bell Attack formed. And then uh, the singer, the original singer from Joint Forces, Mark Diamond, had come back home from California. So we decided to get him back in. And we, that's when Joint Forces became an all-original band. We were the first band to come out in Connecticut to do all original music. There were bands doing like some originals and cover yeah. tunes, but we wanted to come out and do all uh, all original music, an hour and a half, have a couple bands open for us. Uh, we took a big chance. A lot of the uh, club owners didn't think it was gonna work. Uh, it was kind of risky, but uh, we did it and it went over. It, it, it like took off like crazy. The band became huge. And then from there, you know, uh, we got hooked up with Joan Jett's management. I remember that. Yeah, so we, you know, we uh, we became uh, we went out on tour with Joan Jett, uh, the guy the the guy who was with uh, uh, with the with the Joan Jett company. Uh, he he partnered with somebody that owned tour buses, so we actually went out with Joan without a record deal. We had no record deal, but we were on tour. That's uh, pretty cool. I heard yeah, she's pretty cool though everything it was great you know you guys actually weren't you guys in the movie i heard rumor you guys were actually some of you guys were in the band in the movie or something is that the whole band was uh yeah so, day, right yeah so we get done with the tour with joan we did a whole east coast tour with her and a few months later than that um we got a call saying that the you know they were joan was going to be in a movie yeah and for a band uh, so we had to send in our stuff, even though we just got off tour with Joan, we still had to send in, uh, uh, pictures and all this stuff and they accepted us. So the next thing you know, uh, you know, we're flying to Chicago where they filmed it and we're, we're going to be in a, a national motion picture with Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett. So that was, that was a really big deal. You know, it was, uh, there was now, even though the movie, uh, you know, had reviews because it was uh, it was the first time Michael J. Fox ever tried to do a serious role. Everybody liked his, you know, f uh, family time. Yeah, the cutie thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was more of a comical thing. This wasn't that at all. It was a serious role. It had a serious uh, uh, a serious script, you yeah. know, a mother who had gotten cancer. and everything. So it was more of that type of movie. Uh but it was still an incredible experience. I mean, uh, just getting to go to the Hard Rock Cafe in New York for the movie premiere party was an experience I'll never forget in my life. Walking the red carpet, and, uh, yeah, it was it was mental. I mean, the the cameras going off when we got out of that limousine. Uh, I'll never forget this. We're standing on the red carpet, and you know they got the they got it all roped off. This is at the entrance to the Hard Rock, and. Um, we're just standing there. Nothing's happening, you know? So somebody says, hey, who are you guys? And um, we say, oh, we're joint forces. And then somebody goes, joint forces, you're the Huns in the movie. And as soon as somebody said that the Huns, you know, that was the name of the band in the movie. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, thousands of cameras started going off like flash bulbs, like everywhere. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was the wildest experience, just seeing all those millions of flash bulbs going off at you and stuff. 
But, you know, it was very cool. The party was incredible. Carly Simon, uh, Ronnie Wood from the Stones, Paul Schaefer, you know, from the David Letterman yeah. show. He had two girls, one girl on each side. It was, it was, he was just like he is on the Letterman show. Uh, yeah, guy. yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a great time. And I got to tell you, um, I, I got along with Joan very well. Her, her, her and I, uh, I was the only one that she actually spent some time with. Yeah. Out of band. Uh, we had a very good communication. Um, and Michael J. Fox uh, took a lot of time with me. We talked guitars and, um, you know, I, I actually wrote out some tablature stuff. For, you know, it, it was like uh, a great experience in my life, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because he was he played guitar originally, didn't he? Like, well, you know, a little bit, like not professionally. Yeah. But. Oh, he did. Uh, he played guitar. Now, he didn't play in Back to the Future. That was all kind of mimic. But in this movie, he did play some guitar. Yeah. So um, I thought I heard that, but it wasn't confirmed. You know, was it yeah, a confirmed no, thing? Yeah, he did. Uh, so, you know, talk about a, um, a once in a lifetime experience, you know, that's, that was really cool. Uh, that, is, that, is, that is so cool. It's funny. Cause I remember that. I remember hearing all the stuff, like more like the legend of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you guys were this and that. And then I remember seeing the movie. I liked the movie, but it was, I think it was ahead of his time being serious and being rock and roll at the same time. Everything was like the beach movies, like hard bodies or it was, you know, family ties. It was nothing that was like serious and yeah. rock together. It yeah. was just, there was a niche for it, you know? Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Who was in Joint Forces at that time? Um, the, the first version, uh, the, the one that was in the movie, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it started. Uh, the band actually started with uh, Michael Karpiak, a longtime friend. He was the drummer. I know and, Mike. I can yeah. step back up in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, um, um, Mark Diamond. Mark Franco, my 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 best friend that just passed away, and oh, uh, and and then later on, Michael Karpiak um, was replaced by Joe Apero, and um, so that version with Joey Apero uh, is the one that was in the movie. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it, it was just uh, it, you know talk about an experience. It really was incredible. That so then that was around well, the late 80s, right? 80, 89? Uh, 86, something like that, because okay. my, it had to be, you know, early 86 um, or late 85, because uh, my, um, uh, when I got the call to go audition with for Ozzy, that was replacing Jakey Lee in 86, 1986. So that's, yeah. So that's when that whole situation happened. I believe that was a rough one for you. Well, it was, it was a rough one, but you know, once again, um, I look at all these as great experiences. And I'll tell you why. Um, most people would have given up if, you know, they, you know, I've had, I've been very blessed to have a lot of doors open, even though the doors have shut on me, I've come very close to some, you know, pretty major success in a lot of ways. Um, if I had have never had an opportunity where um, like a door would have opened, uh, you know, I probably would have got out of the business a long time ago. I can't say that for sure because I absolutely love playing guitar more than anything in the world. And that is a success right there. You play guitar for a living. That is a success. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, 
guitar is like uh, is like an arm to me. It's 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 part of me. Uh, so honestly, uh, I can never see myself not playing guitar. But a lot of people would have just gotten very discouraged. But I never looked at those things as um, I looked at them as disappointments. Yes, they were disappointments. But uh, I had so many opportunities where that door just kept opening. Um, and then I just knew that someday it was just going to open, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look at Ozzy was they already started working with Zach. Um, I was endorsed by Kramer Guitars at the time. And Kramer was the biggest company on on, on the planet during the 80s. Um, I, I was their only unsigned artist. The president of Kramer took me on personally. He saw me play Dennis Berardi. Uh, Floyd Rose, the guy who invented the Floyd Rose tremolo, yeah. uh, saw me play first and loved the played. And he told the president of, president of Kramer about me. Wow. Uh, was, it, was, it like a NAM, was it a NAM show or something he saw you? No, but it was at a local music store right here in Connecticut uh, where they, you know, uh, these in, uh, Creative Strings was called right on the Berlin Turnpike. It was right yeah. in. But we were a Kramer dealer. So Floyd Rose and the president were going around to all their dealers, you know, their New England dealers, because the Kramer company was in New Jersey. So yeah. they were stopping by and saying hello and. I just, so I did a little clinic when Floyd Rose was there, uh, jammed with a drummer and a bass player, and uh, he loved it. And uh, I didn't even have a, they didn't even make a left-handed Floyd Rose back then. I had to convert a right-handed model left-handed. I had to take a righty model and yeah. have, and bring it to a machine shop and have a hole drill to the other side. Because obviously, you know, I play left-handed. I do, and I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah, it's a it's a nightmare getting guitars. It always has. It still is to this day. It's it's really never, still now. Yeah, I mean, I've had hundreds of great guitars too. I've gotten rid of so many, and and I wish I hadn't. But uh, uh, you know, I've I've been blessed like that. But still, it's one of those things where you know, like I'm looking at your collection of guitars right now. I can't I can't yeah. walk into your over to your house right now and pick up one of your guitars. You know, I'll I'll have to play it upside down. Yeah. You know. It's you like, still sound better than me. <laughs> I've only just started learning. My kids play. So, well, you know, it's like walking into a, you know, walking into guitar center and there's, you know, 500 guitars up on the wall and I can't play a one. They may, they maybe have one lousy left-handed guitar over in the far corner buried someplace. So um, being left-handed is a real drag, but anyways, uh, the company took me on, gave me all kinds of guitars and I was sitting around, uh, on a Wednesday morning, my phone rings and it was uh, the president of Kramer Guitars. And he says, uh, Jimmy, Ozzy is looking for a guitar player. And uh, we sent your tape out and, to Sharon Osbourne and she wants you to come to L.A. So we're we're flying you out to L.A. They're fl they're flying you out. Yeah. And I said, OK, I said, well, I said, this is incredible. I says, when am I going? I said, next week or you know, in a couple of days, they said, no, today. <laughs> it was like the same day. I, I literally had to get a, um, I had to get a, a flight that day. Uh, they booked it that, you know, and I flew to California. Um, when I got to LA, uh, there was like, I heard there was like 500 people that had auditioned for this thing. Ugh. 
Yeah. But uh, Ozzy didn't sit through all those. Uh, only the bass player and drummer had to sit through all those. But was it the uh, was, Van, was it Randy and Geezer at the time? No, no, it wasn't Geezer. It was uh, Phil? Phil. Yeah, Phil. Phil. Yeah. yeah. So Randy, uh, it was Randy and Phil. So I played, but the the thing was, what made my uh, audition different is that Sharon Osbourne sat there ah. while I played because she wanted to see if what she saw in the videotape was actually, you know, what I played like. Right. Um, so I, I nailed it. I, I did incredible. And uh, she was very impressed. And um, they took uh, the next day. I went, we went to a different studio where they, when and then Ozzy came down. Okay. So that's when I got to play about uh, four, four or five songs with Ozzy on this, you know, big stage. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was great. And when I got done playing, uh, Ozzy and Sharon sat down with me and said, uh, we're going to, it's between you and Zach. Uh, we want to keep you uh, overnight. So they, you know, they took me out to dinner at this beautiful restaurant. Uh, I went back to Ozzy's place that they were renting. I met yeah. his youngest daughter at the time, Amy. Yeah. Um, and then the band, uh, then Randy took me out to the Troubadour that night. And that was, and the next morning I, I woke up to a phone call just saying that uh, I was getting, they were bringing me to the airport. So I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, they might've thought about it and just decided to uh, stay with Zach. No, I, I had met Zach while I was out there. Zach came to my hotel room and we yeah. played. So that was my first time like getting to hang out with him. And, and he really liked the way I played a lot. And, you know, it was, it was great to hang with him. Very, very. I have, I have, I have, a, I have a theory about that. I think, I think, because he was more in the vein of Randy. Yeah, yeah. He looks, exactly. he sounded. Yeah, I mean, on there's, already, there's already, a, there's already a Prince of Darkness. You would have been, you actually would have been in competition with Ozzy. You know, he was much more of a pretty boy at the time, and he's actually rebelled now with his big old beard and his. He's a Viking yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. You know, he's got. You know. Uh, uh, you know, Zach looked like like Randy a little bit, you know, the blonde hair. At the time, especially. Yeah. Uh, some people made made uh, little gestures, you know, saying, gee, Jimmy, you, you probably didn't get the gig because you're left-handed and Tony Iommi was left-handed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's pretty funny. I said, I doubt that's the reason, but uh, so. I do think it probably came down a big thing of like, her or visualizing you on stage because she's a whole production mind you know what i mean yeah she's all big picture and just like you know it's randy and the, and the and that was a thing yeah yeah and and here you know the thing is is that uh you know i get asked a lot about about this you know i all my life i have um it, it was a great it was great to come in second for this you know yeah. it really was to be but then again it wasn't you know, it's one of those things. It's like, I almost wish it hadn't gotten that close. You know, I mean, I'm honored that it got that close, but then again, I wish but you got it. to play with them. You've got a relationship with Zach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, who else, who else came that close to being with Ozzy being down to that? Yeah. Know, I mean, literally, Sharon's opinion, it was Sharon's opinion made that decision. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and literally, I mean, I was, I, I got was taken out to dinner. Ozzy took me out to dinner. I mean, I'm sitting in a restaurant with him and uh, and Sharon and uh, you know yeah. going back to the house. You know, it was 
it was, uh, it was, you know, these are all great experiences. I think so. But, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, obviously I didn't hear anything for a little bit, so I knew I didn't have it. And then of course they announced that Zach was it. And then, um, as luck would have it, uh, a little bit later, Sharon really liked my videotape. That's that's yeah. the one you got to know. So a little bit later, I, I get a call uh, and I pick up the phone and it's this English, uh, this, uh, this chap with an English accent, it's Geezer Butler calling me. And I didn't believe it for a second, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's telling me that he's putting together a band, not as heavy as Black Sabbath, but he's got, he wants to do something a little bit more commercial. And Sharon gave him my videotape. Wow. So, um, you know, I ended up flying to St. Louis. Uh, Geezer had a house in St. Louis and in and Birmingham and in Birmingham, England. So they flew me to St. Louis first. Um, he picks me up at the airport. Like, yeah, not, I mean, for not, some reason, I don't, I don't know, you know, it was just getting off the plane. I was expecting some, somebody standing there with right, a yeah. you know, and then bringing me to Geezer. I wasn't expecting to see Geezer standing there at the airport to pick me up. You know, it was kind of like, wow. He's a Birmingham guy, right? They call him Burmese or the bullies or something from Birmingham. Yeah. He's, he's a real man. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. It's incredible. So he just brought, you know. We, we didn't even leave the place. We went right to a, right to a pub there. Uh, you know, he wanted to have a beer. So we were, you know, we stopped there. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, I did that. Flew home. Next thing I know, I'm uh, going to uh, England. And I started rehearsing with him in London. Uh, we recorded some stuff. And then we moved to a new rehearsal studio in um, just outside of Brighton. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's where I wrote the song Master of Insanity. He came to me and says, can I, can I, uh, can you write a song similar to a Black Sabbath song? And I had been working on something. So I wrote the song Master of Insanity. I, I, I titled it, he wrote the lyrics, but I wrote all the music, every bit of it. And, uh, and came up with the title. I told him this title I had and he, he liked it. So, uh, you know, we showcase, we go home. The guy that signed us uh, got in trouble with something. He did something with the record label, whether he embezzled money or whatever. He got fired. All of his bands got fired. You know, it was one of these things, and we had just signed with him. So, um, so once again, that was another, another chapter closed. But, you know, I got... Uh, in 1992 or 93, uh, Black Sabbath is getting back together with um, with Ronnie Dio. Okay. Singing, uh, doing the Dehumanizer record. So um, I get a call from Geezer's wife. She goes, Jimmy, how you doing? Uh, I have great news. We're going to use your song, Master of Insanity, on the new Black Sabbath record. And I went like, oh, my God, this is absolutely incredible. I was so thrilled. And she goes, but I have, there's a problem. <laughs> there's always a problem, you know? She says, we can't give you songwriting credit because Tony Iommi will never let a song written by another guitar player on a Black Sabbath record. So we have to say that Geezer wrote it. 
And she says, Geezer will put you in his special thanks on the record, which he did. And we will pay you for the song when the tour is over. Um, so, I, you know, what was I going to say? Well, you know, I can't. Well, what, yeah. I, yeah, I was pinned against the corner. I wasn't going to fight it. I'd rather have the song out there and, yeah. and, and be able to tell the story years now, you know, for years. So um, they go off. Record gets released. The song, that my song gets great reviews. It get a lot. It gets mentioned in a lot of the songs as being one of the better songs on a record. Um, I go see Black Sabbath live uh, in the area. They came to Boston and to yeah. Hartford. They're playing the song live. They're even doing it. So it's not even like it's a B cut. You know, it was like a song that they liked to play. And the tour gets over, and I never received the dime. Ah. Never. Makes me wonder how many other songs after the first couple albums. Yeah. Went like that from other writers, you know? That was probably one of their better albums with Dio singing too. Yeah. I think I, Hair Miss. That was a strong album. Yeah, I like I like Dehumanizer a lot. I really yeah, do. I, do I, think too. It's, I think it's underrated. Yeah, it's got some really good tracks. There's even a song on there. The opening number is called uh, Computer God. Yes. And we and we have a version. When I first went to uh, England with Geezer, he had a he had another song. Matter of fact, it's up on. Um, if you go to my, uh, you know, Jimmy Bell, you type in "Computer God," it'll come up. Yeah. There's a video playing it with Geezer. It's a whole different version. Really? The only thing that's the same is the title. So they kept uh, they kept the title and made a, a much heavier song for the uh, Dehumanized record, but. Um, you know, once again, that was an unbelievable experience. Uh, getting to play with Geezer, uh, he's he's one of the best bass players I ever you know performed with in my life. Uh, yeah. Watch him play up close. I mean, you see him play in videos, and uh, you know he's he's thunderous. So that was a great experience for me. You know, that is that is really good, man. That is cool. So that was in the yeah early nineties, right? Yeah, and then I went through a period where. There really, honestly, wasn't a hell of a lot going on. You know, I, I was, uh, I put together, we put, ended up putting together another Joint Forces, uh, a version to it with a, a different singer, uh, uh, Livio, Livio Gravini. And we had some great songs with that band. Joint, that version of Joint Forces had, actually had better songs. But by that time, um it changed a little bit. We never uh, gained, we were never as popular as we were. There were other bands out now. Well, wasn't that the, the musical landscape was changing too, right? Because now we're talking the nineties, right? With grunge and stuff. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we're late, late eighties. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Late eighties, er, very early, like extremely early nineties, but the music was changing. And um, enjoyed for wasn't uh but we had great songs we really did and um but it just the band just didn't i i it's hard to say um i i i loved playing with it uh it just didn't the it didn't take off like the first thing you know the first mm -hmm. thing the first version of it was like a phenomena you know it was like one of the things you know when we came out it was the right time when we tried to you know revamp it uh, you know, many, you know, quite a few years later, 
it just uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't the same effect. And but you know what? It was still a great band, and we had a lot of good times. And um, we once again we did a bunch of showcases. They we had one song uh, that Livio wrote. Uh, uh, I want to fly angel. I want to fly. And, uh, he originally wrote it on acoustic and then, uh, we made it an electric song and, uh, all these big record companies heard it and really had liked it. So we thought, wow, this is it. You know, we have a song, one of our own songs that, that they really like. Yeah. But we went and showcased in New York and it was just something about the band. Uh, we never found out there was just something about the band that they just didn't take us. So it's, you know, I don't know. You know, these, these are all crazy experiences, you know? Yeah. And, that was the time I can say like, so like I followed you along, like by locally hearing about you and da, 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 da. went to college for production recording and went down to Atlanta for like two years, came back like 90s that's when Allison Chains I was heard Pantera when I was down in Atlanta so that's why that's what I was saying the music scene was really starting to go fast yeah and then came back and there was a lot of studios except for there was somebody in Manchester who had a little studio Mr. Michael Karpiak yeah Michael yeah Vane. you know what you're talking about the little studio he had in Manchester yeah that little gray um thing there so I, I in your face yeah so I ended up um kind of like an intern-ish thing for him for a while oh. And he's, yeah. he spoke of you in, in high regards, you know? That's yeah. Him, him and I went way back, even, you know, when he was in Cryer. And uh, uh, it, I, I knew Michael before he even got in Cryer. So that was, uh, you know, we're talking many years. Yeah, he's, he, uh, I stayed with him for that. And then he moved out to Canton. He made that new studio. Did you ever go to that one? Yeah, I, he, went, he had a nice studio in Canton. And then he went to Arizona. And he actually I didn't go for that one. I didn't go. I, I'm like, I can't move. Yeah, he actually went to Arizona and he got to meet his, uh, you know, Michael always knew things about the, you know, I got to say about, he had predict, you know, he, these predictions about things. Like he predicted, like he got me into wrestling, you know, WWE wrestling. And yeah. he said, he always said when we would watch it, you know, he would say somehow that rock and roll and this, we're going to, merge somehow he knew that and and it did there it, it, things ended up happening where uh somehow music got more intense with uh wrestlers and you know wrote right down you know because you know i did a lot of, i've done a lot of music yep. for wwe yep. so uh but that was way later but it was just so funny to see how uh because i remember uh cindy lopper and ozzy getting involved with the wrestling thing and then yeah. you know, started you know taking songs uh entrance music from uh you know oh. all other famous bands you know for wrestlers entrance music so and he also had a prediction about judas priest michael followed judas priest from the very beginning he he uh there was something about that band that he said this is this is going to be something and he finally in arizona got to meet rob halford and i know that that meant a lot to him you know, I, I bet, yeah, because he was like with uh, wasn't the guitarist for Halford was also the tattooist or something, and through Mike, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty cool situation. And Mike was great to work in a studio too. I liked working with him in a studio, and he, and he, and and working with his band that he had then too. He had a little band yeah. he was working on. That was a good band. 
he was uh, he was good to learn from too. Yeah, you know, he was he was very good. I mean, I I forgot the uh, he used to record us way back. You know, he had one of these first. I don't know what it was. This little studio master or something. Uh, like a dat. Yeah, dat tapes. Yeah, it was. He he did this like way back. This first little four track thing. We were recording upstairs at his house, and it was like wow. We were we were doing some pretty good stuff. He he, if, if Roy Space, he would have actually been a, a really big producer. Like he had a really good sound. Yeah, okay. Like, like working with other, that was a really, really, really enjoyable. Um, and I didn't see him for a while. And the last time I saw him, we got together. We went to see King's X, and he knew he knew Doug. It was King's X. It was a long time ago now. Uh, Ronnie James Dio was it was Dio King's X playing together. I think it was. Oh yeah. It was an interesting show. It was a weird lineup, I think, actually. But King's X are hard to line up with anybody. But afterwards, he knew Doug. So we went back and saw Doug from King's X. You know? Yeah, great band. Great band. Yeah, they had, another, another underrated band, right? They talk about hard knocks, right? Yeah. Oh, kill. Killer. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I'm not alone. You know, it's it's one of these things. Like I said, all these things just kept me uh, kept me going. Uh, so I did, you know, I, I, my whole, I started changing. I started like, uh, I wanted to branch uh, my guitar playing off, uh, into some different things. I got into country music. I got into country guitar players a lot. I still love country guitar players. Okay. Uh, Albert Lee and all these cats that, you know, play that real chicken picking stuff. Um, that always fascinated me. I, um, so I, I actually started, you know, buying Telecasters and, um, you know, just working on that that style. Um, finally, you know, I was <coughs> sorry about that. Yeah, good time. I, uh, I was uh, playing, you know, different styles of music for a while, and then in 1999, I got a call from um, my buddy BJ Zampa, this incredible drummer. And uh, he was doing a record for this for this guy Ted Bullet, who was in this band Thunderhead out of Germany. Now Ted was originally from around here, but then went to Germany and had and did this band Thunderhead, this heavy metal band from over there. And Ted was doing a new record, and they wanted me to play guitar on it. So I did the record, and it got released on a good label. And we we got a offered a tour with metal church. So here we are, we're going to head out to uh, Europe with metal church. So, uh, I had to go back to a, a rock and roll kind of look, you know, my, I had, uh, I hadn't dyed my hair or anything for a while. I, I just kind of let it go gray and you know, whatever, but, uh, yeah. So that's what happened. I, that, that record in 1999, I got back into doing, you know, heavy rock. Yeah. And uh, it just took off from there. From there, you know, we went on tour with Metal Church. The singer Metal Church would watch me play guitar every night, and uh, we were we were on we were with a on a double decker tour bus over there, both bands. And he would come up and talk to me and say, "Look, I'm I'm only doing this one tour. I'm going to do a solo record. I want you to play guitar." So I said, the time? I, I remember his, I can't his name, David Wayne. Yes. David Wayne. He was the original singer in Metal Church. Yeah. 
they got back together to do this album masterpiece. And, um, uh, so there, you know, so he, um, the next thing I know, uh, I'm flying home, uh, from the tour and he's already calling, you know, about, you know, we got to do this, uh, you know, we're going to do this record. And, uh, I wrote all these songs for this, uh, the, the Wayne's metal church, they called it, they titled it metal church, uh, Wayne's solo record. Right. And that was a great experience that, that record did really good. And once again, this was an, another great thing to have. And then I did a couple of uh, things with, uh, with Mike Tessera, who's, uh, he was, uh, in a band in New Haven area a long time ago called obsession. And then, um, but then he became the singer for Ingve Malmsteen and the uh, Japanese band Loudness. Okay, those two are wow. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, you know, we we uh, we did a couple records, and then the next thing uh, in two thousand five, I get a call from James Christian about House of Lords. He's um, he's he says they're going to put House of Lords back together. And uh, he says, uh, we have to go back to the melodic rock sound. And he says to me, have you ever written a melodic rock song? And I just said, yes. I didn't even know what a melodic rock song was, but I said, yes, I wanted to do something. So it was great. Uh, I wrote some songs and they just happened to fit really well. He needed a drummer. I says, I got the drummer because I really liked working with BJ. And uh, it was one of these things. So I just got him in the band. And um, and then we worked together ever since. So, we, you know, with House of Lords for the last 15 years. Uh, I've done eight records with them, written most of them. Uh, along with BJ, you know, we, we, uh, we work together. Um, we have a great writing system, you know. You know, ever since, like I said, 90, uh, 1999, I was working with BJ. And it opened up a, it was a great, uh, it opened up a good partnership, him and I, we, we just did everything. So basically I, I'll come to, I'll come to him with a full song or most of a song and I'll play it for him and he'll say, yeah, that's, you know, he'll either like it a lot or. Is he around here though? Yeah. Yeah. He's right. He lives, you know, like seven miles from me. He lives in Newington. He's actually played drums for Dockin now. So, um. Oh, Nick left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, actually, my my old both of them, Chris McCarvel was my bass player and uh, was the bass player in House of Lords. I got him in House of Lords. He had left to play with Dokken for a little bit, and then when Mick went out on tour with Ted Nugent for a bit, uh, BJ that was a few you know years back, uh, BJ went and filled in for that. So that's how. Don made the connection with BJ. So when, when Mick finally left again, um, they, he called BJ and uh, Hustle Lords hadn't did too, hasn't done too much. But anyways, our um, like I said, our, our songwriting methods, you know, pretty good. I, I write complete song and I bounce it off him. He's a great arranger. He'll either take parts, move them around, or he'll say it's yeah, let's it's good the way it is. Or he'll tell me, you know, flat out that he doesn't like the song. What else do I have? You know, which, you know, which is great. Um, and we usually did about for every house of Lords record I did anywhere from, uh, 50 
15 to 18 songs. And then, you know, you pick 10, you know, 10, maybe 11. Um, and that's how it goes. So, um, you know, we, I've, I've gotten a tour all over the world, everywhere that I could, you could ever imagine, except for Australia. I've never been to Australia. Almost, though. We were almost there. But I played um, Tokyo, Japan, which was my biggest thing I ever did. We played the Loud Park Festival. That was insane. With Slayer, Anthrax, and all these. Other, and House of Lords is not that type of band, but they had a few no. other we <laughs> other bands of our genre, you know, our style of music on there as well. Okay. So, um, it, it just worked out. And it was amazing. I never seen anything like that in my life playing for the Japanese audience. I just, it was, I, I think about it every day still. It was just one of the greatest things I ever did. Um, so basically, you know, I've done a lot of tours and, um, but the thing with House of Lords is like, I think DJ and I really wanted to tour more. We wanted to tour a lot and we tried yeah. to keep, like we put together this band Max Explosion, which was me, BJ and Chris McCarville. So in between House of Lords tours, we had this band, which was unbelievable. Max Explosion did two records with them on uh, John Kimmel's label. And, um, you know, the band, we, we did some uh, festivals with that band. We actually uh, did open for ourselves. Like what we did was Max Explosion open for House of Lords. So we played and then we just, you know, brought up James uh, over in Europe a couple of times. That was great. But, um, uh, you know, we, we had to uh, try and stay busy. So, you know, we have all these other local bands. Uh, Beyond Purple is a very special band to me. That's a, uh, a tribute to the Deep Purple family tree. Uh, we got incredible singer Mike Gill, Mark Zito on keyboards. Uh, Brian Camilleri plays bass and BJ's on it, on drums and, and myself. And uh, that band does the Deep Purple family tree. I'll so, have to see you guys when, we, when we're out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It basically, I love purple. Yeah, well, yeah. And the thing that that's the best thing about it is that we do Deep Purple and then we go into Rainbow with all the different singers Rainbow had. Then we go to White Snake, And so, uh, you know, anything that we could possibly do that would, that deep, formed off of Deep Purple because there's countless bands. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, you know, um, from deep purple uh you know you go you go into richie blackmore richie blackmore had ronnie dio graham bonnet jolyn turner uh you're talking about glenn hughes there's there's all kinds of projects uh all the different projects that uh david coverdale did uh, you know page and coverdale you know uh the, the list could go on you could you know uh graham bonnet did alcatraz with ingbe so i mean you could really and if you wanted to go even more crazy about it Ian Gillen did Born Again with Black Sabbath. You that was know. a good album. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you you could go, you could actually go there with that whole thing, too. And deal Black Sabbath. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of fun with that band. Um, there's other bands, Wicked Gypsies, Diamondback, Bottoms Up, uh, Straight Shooter, you know, just all, all these other bands that 
we put together to stay busy, but no one's doing anything right now. How do and you then, balance that? All, all those from bands like to schedule and is it because you guys oh, all sort of tried, stay band together? We tried to keep them as busy as possible. We were doing pretty good. We, we were, uh, there, there was uh, a point where we were all playing quite a bit and um, doing all right. But then things started getting a little crazy. And, and finally, I was still, you know, uh, you know, House of Lords was the thing I was really trying to push a lot. I really wanted to tour. We all did. We wanted to tour. Uh, I don't know if, if James was on the same level, wanted to tour as much as we were, the singer. But me and BJ really wanted to play. Uh, we were, you know, kept trying to do something. So he had an opportunity to go with Doc and, and um, you know, so that's what happened. And then I was sitting there and uh, I happened to look on Facebook one morning and I saw that I became friends with Autograph, the guys, you know, when they played around town. Uh, and uh, I had met Steve Lynch years ago. Yeah. So I was friends with him on Facebook and he made this big announcement that he was quitting the band. Don, he didn't want to play Autograph anymore. Uh, he started a new band. So I got in touch with Randy Rand, the bass player, the original bass player. And he already knew how I played. Uh, and I said, Randy, uh, I, I know you're getting a whole bunch of calls probably right now, but I want I, I want a chance to audition for Autograph. Uh, they gave me three songs. I, I learned them instantly and asked for more. I think the fact that I was so driven that I wanted the gig, yeah. that I, I learned the whole set, all the harmonies, vocal harmonies, everything. So uh, that just, you know, really impressed them. So uh, what turned into three songs, Randy calls me, he says, you're just going to do the next three gigs with us and let's just see how it goes. Because they had three shows booked. And I was going like, oh my God, okay. So I go to... Uh, I go out to uh, L.A. Uh, for a, on a Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We were we were practicing. Had a gig. Or my first show on Friday. Tuesday, uh, we fl I fly in on Tuesday and we still rehearse that day. Uh, first song, boom, that was it. They knew I was their guitar player. Nice. Very. That we played together. It was one of those things. <coughs> sorry. We had a we had a magic that doesn't happen a lot, but it was just there was a chemistry that happened instantly when we were playing. Uh, and and I look for that, I really do. It's one of those things that it's a gift when that happens. It's that band sounded like we had been playing together for years, and it was my first time stepping in a rehearsal room with. Sounded like literally we had been together for years. So it was, it was great. And it's been incredible so far. I, I mean, I had an entire summer book with all these great shows. And of course, you know, with COVID and everything, but I've got to do some great gigs with them so far. I got a show coming up right now in uh, December 4th with them. So. Oh yeah. Where? Fort Myers, Florida with, with us and uh great white. Yeah. So it's uh, it's one of those things. How are the crowds now that you're a different guitar player in the band? 
I've been, uh, they have accepted me. Their fans have accepted me incredibly. Uh, they made me feel so welcome because I, 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 you know, I had to really step it up. Steve's an icon guitarist. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I couldn't go in there and just, you know, hack, you know, just not care. I went right. in there, you know, with everything perfect. They let me do all my own solos except for turn up the radio. They said, you know, that's the only one. And and you can't change that solo anyway. So, yeah. um, um, so that, that's one of those things, you know, I, uh, I went there and really kicked ass that my first show with them in, um, in Woodstock, uh, Virginia was just absolutely amazing. The whole show's on, on, uh, somebody recorded the whole show. If you type in autograph, Jimmy Bell, the whole concert's up there. I've seen and, some, I've looked up some footage. Yeah. Some good it, stuff. It's amazing. It really is. It, 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 I couldn't have asked for a better first show with them. And I love, I love the guys. I love being on stage with them. I love working with them. I love writing with them. It's where is it relocated though? That's always a question. Like if you're in so many bands and like I imagine people are located everywhere. How does all that get coordinated without stepping into their toes? Yeah, it's a t it's difficult. Um, Simon the singer and Mark the drummer are you know in L.A. Randy's yeah. in Georgia, and I'm up here. So um, basically, when it's showtime, we all practice to that video, the one that the guy recorded. <laughs> that recorded the whole first set the whole i mean the whole concert that's how we rehearse uh, i stand up uh with the guitar plugged in and play along to that uh it's we it's what we could do it's all we could do at the moment uh because we're not together now uh if the opportunity does arise that uh the guys will come in uh uh to a, a, a something early and we could rehearse, then we will do it. We always get sound check. I mean, we always do sound checks and play for a while. But, um, you know, like when we play in Connecticut coming up in, in July, if they happen to come up, if they want to come up a couple of days early, I got places I could rehearse with them, you know, yeah. that are for me. Um, so that's a that's a, a possibility right there. But we, we released a single uh souls on fire it's the first uh one of the first tracks that i've got to do with them since being in the band great track real real you know straight ahead rock driven song um so i'm looking forward to doing a lot more you know that's really great really cool it's gonna be weird now with all the labels though and like getting signed to a label and putting a record out and is it um well earlier on it's a little different now for you now when you do the record labels is it different yeah, everything's different. Um, House of Lords, we have a we have a really good record label. We're with Frontier. Yeah. We've been with there. They have every band from the eighties. You know, that's you know, kind of they're, they're, they're saving the genre right now on some level. Yeah, they are. They're they're a great label, great guys. But um, um, it, it's it's totally different. You know, uh. You're not getting money. You're not. Uh, it's hard to collect money. It's hard to get anything nowadays. Yeah. Uh, your bet. I mean, you could pretty much do it if you have some money. You could do exactly what the record labels are doing. They buy pack. You know, the record label will put will put together 
you know, they, they put the record, you know, you record the record, they master it, they get the disc made. And then they, there's these, you know, distribution centers, these people, these promotion things, these companies that will do, do everything. Cargo, uh, I don't know if it's cargo, but uh, they, they put together all these big promos and you could do the same thing. You could buy packages from these people. Like if you, yeah. if you had a, a lot of money, you could go to them and say, I want this, I want this much promotion. Here's a, you know, here's five thousand dollars. What 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 package can you get me? What can you do? And it's the same thing that these companies do, you know. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, but, you're, you're a busy guy. So now COVID must do you like are you just like writing songs now? Stacking I'm up a lot. I'm uh I'm writing a lot of songs, but uh I I'm constantly practicing. Uh I'm doing a lot of work in the uh uh, I, I have to do a bunch of work at my mom's house actually for her, helping her out. So I've been going back and forth with that. And, uh, I've been on a workout thing. Uh, I'm very much into health. Um, uh, I've lost 30 pounds. Wow. Yeah. I walk, uh, I walk roughly nine miles a day. Um, I average four to 500 sit-ups a day. Um, what? Yeah. I do 200 in the morning right off the bat. And then every time I hit the floor, I do a hundred. So I I'll go, I'll, I'll get on the floor, you know, four or five times a day. But every time I hit the floor, I'll do, I'll do a hundred sit-ups. Wow. So, uh, and you know, I had to change my whole intake of food, you know, uh, especially with, uh, with, uh, COVID, you know, things were, uh, I was sitting around, you know, watching some TV and grabbing a little this, grabbing a little of that. And, you know, uh, when I, the last show I had done with autograph was the monsters of rock cruise and, uh, last February. And, and then, uh, and then COVID hit. And then we had, uh, a show that was still going to happen in, in June. So I, I went to, you know, I, I packed all my stuff, went to, you know, went to Colorado where the show was, and I'm getting dressed and I noticed my stage clothes were tighter. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I hadn't tried them on. I, and I looked oh. at myself and, I, and I, I didn't like the way I looked, you know, I, uh, and there were a few pictures of me and I, I looked a little, you know, a little beefy, you know? <laughs> so uh, I made it a point after that I said, I, I gotta, you know, wheel it in again. So, uh, started eating a lot of raw, raw celery, raw celery and carrots with a little salt and pepper. I was doing that really had cut back. Um, now that I, I went down to the weight that I want to be at, you know, every once in a while I'll have a little something, but I still, I'm never going to be able to be one of those guys. that could just, uh, eat whatever I want. And you and, eat it through nature. You can't, you know what I mean? Like I, mean, I, I was a real skinny guy. Like, Tiny man, like was it my forties, forty five? I could eat anything all day long. Yeah, and then all I, of a sudden, boom. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sixty two. My metabolism's totally changed. Uh, so it's uh, you know you have to really watch what you do, and exercise is is important. Uh, but if you don't change your eating habits, exercise doesn't do a thing. Because I was walking nine miles a day, sometimes even more. And my weight wasn't changing. 
and I was going, you know, what the hell's going on here? You know, why I'm, I'm doing all this walking yeah. and happening. Well, I still, I hadn't changed my eating habits. So that's, you know, all so you haven't been on stage yet since you've changed, huh? All the exercise. Uh, I did. Well, I played. Um, you a madman. Yeah, I, I forgot. I did a show. Uh, was it Iowa? I believe I did one show in uh, not too long ago. And I was already starting to lose the weight. But uh, this this show in, in two weeks will be my first time out there skinny. In fact, I'm even dressing different for it. I've never been able. I've been wearing blazers for a long time. Um, I like a blazer look. Don't get me wrong. But I also did it to, um, you know, kind of yeah. cover, you know, forgiving. just uh, very forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, um, now I'm just going to be, I'm having just a, a button shirt and a vest because I tried it on and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a point with my weight that I could get away with it. And that's a good feeling, that you know? Good. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to dabble in something a little different on this next gig. You know. I think I think that's really good. I think that's you know good for you. I think it's also better. For, you're probably gonna feel better after the show too. Your energy levels gonna be you know, yeah. Way better. I mean, for eating yeah. differently, for exercising. Yeah, it, you know, it, it it makes a difference. And uh, I mean, I have all kinds of energy during the day. I, I really do. And uh, I'm I'm not a I I never stay up late. I'm I'm one of these guys. You know, I'm I'm in bed very early. Um, I'm not one of these. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't drink. I haven't drank in years, uh, you know, drink drugs, anything like that. And, you know, so many years, uh, I'm up at five o'clock every morning. I'm having, I'm having my coffee at 5.00 AM every single morning. And I'm practicing my guitar at 5.00 AM. I grab, a, I keep a guitar ready to go. Yeah. And while I'm having coffee, I, uh, I start doing some stuff, um, and I like to bring my fiance Mandy to work because she's a director at a hospital, and they changed uh, ent the entrances to the hospital uh, during COVID. So uh, I didn't want her walking. Uh, we're we're her. She has a separate building, but they weren't allowing people to go into that building. So uh, they would have to walk to the main entrance of the hospital. So I didn't want her walking doing that. So I've been bringing her to work uh, every day. And then I come back and really start my routine. You know, it's a daily thing every day. It's three guitar players. I mean, there were many. Uh, you know, you mean? Yeah, there were three guitar players that made a huge impact in my life. Um, number one was Johnny Winter. Um, Johnny Winter was a huge influence to me when I first started. He was the first guitar player I heard because I was a drummer. All right. At the time. What's your favorite yeah. album by him? My favorite, Johnny Winter and. It's a live album. Uh, uh, it's got Rick Derringer on it. Uh, third Degree uh, is mine. Third Degree is yours? Yeah. That is such a good album. It's a dog. Have you, have you ever heard the, and the live album? Johnny Winter and it's called. I don't know. Oh, I'm my God. By far, I'll check out. So by far, one some of the greatest guitar playing you'll ever hear. It's a live album. It has "Good Morning Little Schoolgirl." It's my own fault. Uh, their version of "Jumpin' Jack Flash" is just outstanding. 
I was so, listening to uh, Edgar, Edgar and uh, Johnny's live album they had together that, that, the other night. I listened to that. The Roadwork album? The yeah. Edgar? Oh, my God. Incredible. So good, right? Road, oh, my God. Edgar, Edgar is mind-blowing. Yeah. So um, I had Johnny Winter. Yeah. And then I, I discovered Richie Blackmore, obviously, and that was the guy that really changed my life. And then the one that really put the icing on the cake was Al Demiola. Uh, when I discovered who Al Demiola was and his picking technique. Um, and I, had already, I heard of John McLaughlin and I thought John McLaughlin was incredible. But then I heard Al Demiola and uh, there was just something about Al Demiola I liked a little bit better. Uh, both were incredible guitar players. It was just something about his his whole picking thing that I that really... So I had taken that those three guys and created my style. So <clears throat> um, all my fast picking, all my technique, um, all that was, you know, just from Al Demiola type stuff. That's why back, you know, w- way back in 1981, 82, when I popped back onto the Connecticut scene, uh, I, you know, all of a sudden I was playing, you know, that stuff, you know, and no one had, you know, nobody had heard of that, you know, heard a guitar player playing like that because that wasn't, you know, nobody was just copying on that style. So um, that's kind of what helped launch my, you know, you know, whatever, popularity or whatever, you know, uh, or the respect other guitar players gave me. Let's put it that way. No, you, you have it. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm bragging. It's just, be honest, it's, you've had a good reputation. There. Like I said, knowing about you from when I was like 17 or 18, I'm 50 now. So there's, you know, you were starting to just rock it off as I was just learning about you was coming in, like on the band room and stuff. And then I left. And it was like about 10 years, that, that low you had, you doing all these things, or I didn't really hear from you much. Yeah. And I came back. But like I'd still hear about you through like, you know, I, I follow like hard rock and music. I listen to everything, but you know, online music, you know, you hear Jimmy Bell's doing this or that, or someone just saw you at a show or something. I was yeah, I was impressed the other day, and they're like, yeah, I saw some band and did some covers. And just take those, you just all kinds of crazy songs, and he goes, oh, Jimmy Bell was on guitar. Yeah, I, I just do all kinds of, you know, I just love to play. I really do. You're like I, the Kevin Bacon of rock in Connecticut. I mean, there's like eight degrees there. <laughs> Yeah. Jimmy Bell. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It That's is. a good thing. So the Shredneck now. Yes, the Shredneck. Okay, well, that was, um, that's kind of a funny story. I um, I busted this hand, which is my fretboard hand. I, um, this knuckle, I damaged this knuckle. And I had to be in a half cast. So I had these two fingers exposed and these two were in a cast. Um, so when I got the cap off, I wanted something to rebuild strength a little bit. And, you know, they had these things, riff grips, you know, they were, had spring stuff. Um, and I, I, I liked it. I mean, for the size wise, cause you could, you know, just do have it anywhere. But when I used it, my hand felt real tight. Like, like when I let go of it, I said, this isn't what my hand feels like after hours of practicing. I wanted something that, 
made my hand feel like that I had just practiced an hour. So I, I came up with this idea about uh, having a uh, half of a little piece of a neck, something with real strings, even though it didn't tune. I just wanted to have real strings to run my fingers across. And I wanted tuning gears on it so I could adjust the tension of the strings. So like if I wanted the tension real tight or if I wanted it loose, like if I wanted to uh, see the whole purpose of a shred neck, it's, it's, it's like working out with weights. It's a practice tool. It, you, you can't tune it to pick. Uh, the, the one, you know, the model that, that I uh, started off with. It's made to run, run your fingers on, uh, do pull-offs. You can even do taps, like you can practice tapping uh, sequences like that. But one of the things I like to do is I take the strings and I pull them and I dig them, you know, into my fingers to keep my calluses strong. So I'll take them and pull on them. Uh, and that that keeps your your callus strong. So basically, it's it's uh, it's a unique tool to have when you can't have a guitar with you. What's it made out of? It's wood. It's it it's wood? yeah. Oh yeah. It's not a I, cheap plastic one. The other so, ones. Yeah, that's wood. the thing. So I started playing guitar. I'm just for recording. La la la. Took a break, but when I came back, my kids are playing instruments. The past couple of years, you can see around me, and. Um, I picked up an Ibanez. I said, I'm going to start learning guitar. But I wanted something small to put in my bag. So I saw a bunch of those things out there. And I remember yours. But I got like a really cheap one. And I didn't end up using it. My, my, my grandson plays with it now. Because like it's plastic and you can't. I didn't expect to tune it, but the, the, you, the weight of it. That's why I'm asking the weight. is really what felt off about it. The, the feel of it was what really bothered me the most. I mean. Yeah. And I think I was going to put the money to it because I wanted it for the guitar. I just wasn't small. I was just starting out, you know. The thing about the shred really cool. A lot of people don't understand it, though. Everybody holds it the wrong way. I, when I first came up with it, and I can understand why. When I first came up with it, it was a headstock and part of a neck. That's what I wanted. But I couldn't. I would put it on my lap, and it was top heavy. It kept turning over because it had the the headstock had tuners. Um. So I ended up just putting the headstock on my lap and playing it like that. And that ended up being, oh, you disappeared. Hold on a second. There you go. Low battery mode. Oh, okay. Uh, Run low. So yeah, um, uh, I, it, uh, it, uh, uh, it was top heavy. So I ended up, we we redesigned it. I found a, a you know my a, a buddy of mine saw it, thought it was uh, incredible, so he made it into something. I just had one made for myself and was driving around in my car with it, and he's the one that brought it to life because he's in marketing. I see a lot of guitars uh, now with a bent that that neck now bent in <laughs> travel style now. Yeah, the full neck. Now what it is? It's like you got a picture. You, you can no longer think of it. Even though the tuners are on it, you have to pretend that the, the tuners are on a body. So pretend that that headstock is the body because the yep. neck is narrower at the top and then gets wider at the headstock. So you hold the head, you know, you put the headstock, it's curved like that, goes onto your lap, and, and you run your fingers on it like that. So we have left and right-handed models. It's uh, 
It's really good. Shredneck, shredneck.com, www.shredneck.com. Put that link up to for you. No. Yeah. And of course, my, mine is jimmybellguitarist.com. Yeah. Uh, and, um, well, I don't really have a favorite piece of gear. I had a, a buddy of mine made me a, a, I you know, small is what I need for traveling. I use stomp boxes. I'm yep. very cool. I go into the front of the amp. Uh, it wasn't until I joined Autograph that I had to go back to using a Floyd Rose. I hadn't used the Floyd Rose trio in, in years. So I had to get guitars with Floyd Rose on them again. And uh, I never used the delay in my life or a boost pedal. Anything in the effects loop. Well, all that changed. When I got an Autograph, I had to have a, a whole thing made up where I use the effects loop of the amp. So I yep. run my play pedal and a little boost pedal for when I solo. So when I do a solo, my solos boost up a little bit because I always used uh, uh, an overdrive pedal, you know, a, a boss overdrive. I always used a Wawa overdrive course. That's all I ever used in my life. Um, What's your main uh, guitar, though? You got, you got a favorite brand at this point? I know it was probably going to jump around from year to year. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's uh, your go-to? Yeah, my, uh, well, right now I'm using Charvels. I have, uh, I have two Charvels that I use, uh, SoCal's that I use for that, but I have custom guitars that are made for me. There's a new company called PBX. Uh, they're making me uh, a Jimmy Bell model, actually. That's uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, and I should be having that almost this week, in fact. Uh, but I've had several guitars made by a buddy of mine, Dale Roberts, out of Jacksonville, Florida, who just makes incredible guitars. And there's another company called Viper Guitars out of uh, out of California. Um, so, you know, you got my buddy in Florida, my buddy in North Carolina and uh, and Viper out of California. And so, they, you know, I like working with these smaller companies um, because they want they want to do something good for you. And, you know, being left-handed, it seems to be the way to go for me. Uh, you know, and, you know, if, unless you're a huge, like I, I was surprised that I actually got the Charvel endorsement. I, you know, it really helped it with the autograph, but a lot of the companies like for years, yeah. even with Lord's, I, I would have loved to have gotten Gibson because I was playing SGs, Gibson SG forever. I love SG. Yeah. And they won't even, they don't want to know you. They don't want to know. You got uh, a even, lot of people. I would, you know, with Epiphone, I would have liked to have gotten an Epiphone thing, but unless you're just like, you know, whatever. But hey, you got to be grateful for what you have. 